You guys know what a sequel is? What's a sequel? After the first one? After the original one? Yeah. So what what could be a sequel? Like just give me just give me an example. Like what? Star Wars. Okay. So like movies can have sequels. What else can have a sequel? A book can have a sequel. Lots of things can have sequels, right? Now, the thing about a sequel is, uh, in order to understand what's happening in the sequel, what do you have to do first? Read the prequel. The prequel is different. But what if the prequel comes out after the sequel? Like, that's what happened with Star Wars. Right, Jose? (laughs) All right. You guys, um, I am a big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. Um, To be honest, I've been pretty disappointed in the most recent phase, but I still watch the movies because I'm a a fan of Marvel. Now, way back, not really way back, but a few years ago, the the end of of the, what what do they call it? The Avengers Saga? Infinity Saga, thank you. Who, who, yes, yes, the Infinity Saga was coming to an end. And um, there were two Avengers films, right? That kind of ended it, which it actually ended with Spider-Man, I think, but that's not important. Um, two Avengers films were happening, and uh, they're good movies. And one day I was talking to my mom, and she was like, Jacob, I watched this really good movie the other day. And I was like, oh, cool, what movie? And she said, you know that um, Avengers Endgame? I was like, oh, I was like, cool. You watched that? She's like, yeah, I watched it. It was, it was really good. And I was like, okay, so like, that means that you, you had to have watched Infinity War, right? And she said, no. No. And I said, I said that. I said, mom, why would you? Do-? I literally said that to her. I was like, you ruined it. You, ha- you can't do that. You have to watch the first one to understand the, the, the one after that. Like, and I was like, mom, did you understand what was happening? She was like, I mean, there were some things that I didn't get, but it was, it was fun. And I was like, there was, you didn't get anything, Mom. You didn't understand anything that was happening in this movie because you needed to watch the one that came before it. Well, okay. Have you guys ever watched or read a sequel? And it's when you're watching it or when you're reading it, you realize, oh, there's one before this. Have you guys ever done that before? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, you realize that you have to do something. What do you, what do you have to do at that point? You have to stop what you're doing with the sequel and go and, and do the, the first one or the prequel or whatever it is, right? You just have to do that. It's important for you to understand it, correct? Okay, well, let's think about the Bible for a second. The Bible is made up of two testaments, Old Testament and New Testament. Now, unfortunately, there are people who will say today that because we have the New Testament, the Old Testament is not important anymore. If you have ever heard that, or if you even do believe that this morning, I am I'm lovingly telling you that that is not true. Okay, That, yes, we do have the New Testament, but the Old Testament is incredibly important. You cannot understand what happens in the New Testament without reading and understanding what happens in the Old Testament. And I hope that you understand that, and, and you believe that. There are so many things that... The New Testament, it builds on the Old Testament. It's like the foundation. 
that it builds upon. Old Testament lays the foundation. In the New Testament, God builds on the things that were said. All right, so there are some things about the Old Testament that we need to understand before we can move forward at all. Before we can get to this passage today, in 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, you can go ahead and open your Bibles there. We need to understand that in the days of the Old Testament, the relationship between God and his people, it was a lot different then than it is right now. Now, because of Jesus, <clears throat> we can enjoy a direct relationship with God. We can enjoy a direct relationship. That means that God, the Holy Spirit, is dwelling inside of us as Christians. And we have a direct line to God the Father. We can talk to God whenever we want. We can pray to God whenever we want. And He hears us. We can approach God's throne boldly, the Bible says, in prayer and in worship. And in the Old Testament, that wasn't exactly the case. In the Old Testament, God's primary dwelling place was the temple. In the temple. And the temple was a large building made of stone. And what happened was God was dwelling in this place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. And only one time a year could one person, could one man enter the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. And once a year, this man would have to go inside the Holy of Holies, and he would have to go through all of these cleansing rituals. He would do these sacrifices, do all these things to make sure that he is cleansed before God, before he walked into God's presence. And when he would walk in there, what they would do is they would actually tie a rope around him. And the reason why they did that is because if he wasn't right before God, he would walk into God's presence and he would die because of his unrighteousness. And so sometimes this would happen, and they would have to pull him out with the rope, or else he would stay in there. Nothing like that anymore, right? Whenever you want, as a Christian, you can pray to God and he will hear you. And, and he loves the prayers of his people. You don't have to worry about dropping dead in the presence of God like that. Like the way that the high priest, these, these men would have to, they were concerned about. So as we are moving forward in the passage, you need to remember that God's dwelling place was inside the temple made of stone. And only the high priest had direct access to God just once a year. But Jesus changed that. Jesus changed it. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, it says this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Now, here's something that Peter does, and this is why we need to understand the Old Testament. Because starting here in verse 6, he does it one time, he does it again in verse 7, and again in verse 8. He quotes the Old Testament. He brings back things that God said in the Old Testament to help us connect the dots with what's going on in the New Testament. So verse 6, this is a quote from the Old Testament. And he says, uh, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That 
you can see how in your Bible, is it kind of off to the side a little bit? It's kind of like, there are quotation marks around that. You see that? That's an Old Testament quote. And then in verse 8, it says, and, and there's another quote from the Old Testament, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. Verse 4 starts off and it says, as you come to him. Now, I've been saying this at the beginning of pretty much all of the sermons through 1 Peter. I've been saying you have to pay attention to what he's, he is saying because he's connecting it to what was said the last time we were together. So verse 4 is a direct continuation from verse 3. And verse 3 ends by saying, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have tasted that the Lord Jesus Christ is good, as in if you are saved, if you've put your trust in Christ, you've tasted that he's good. And then, of course, we said that you need to be drinking the pure spiritual milk, the, reading the Bible, to be experiencing God's goodness every day. Right? So now in verse 4, he says, As you come to him, he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. As you come to him, and he says, a living stone. He describes Jesus as a living stone. But I'm going to give you point one. Point one, you need to draw near to Jesus often. As you come to him, a living stone, as you come to Jesus, you come to Jesus, you, you draw near to Jesus. Two primary ways, first of all, of course, is you put your trust in him. You put your trust in him as Savior, as Messiah. And then once you have put your trust in him, you continue to draw near to him by spending time with him. By doing what he just talked about a couple verses before. By drinking the pure spiritual milk. By reading God's word. By spending time in prayer. By worshiping. You need to be drawing near to Jesus often. Over. And over, you need to be doing this. And look, I know I say this a lot, and I'm going to keep on saying it because it's important, but you've got to be in God's Word. And not just that, you need to be making a plan to be in God's Word. You need to be making, gentlemen, you need to be making a plan to be in God's Word. You don't just wake up in the morning and say, okay, at some point today I'm going to read the Bible. You say, here's my plan. At this point today, this is when I'm going to open the Bible. This is when I'm going to read it. You need to make a plan. How many of you guys this weekend hung out with friends? Did you just hang out with friends this weekend? Did you plan to do that? Yeah. It was your plan to hang out with friends, right? So my point is, you make plans to do the things that you want to do. You make plans. You make the time to do what you want to do. So I'm telling you is, if you're a Christian, if you profess faith in Christ, you need to be making the time to spend with Jesus. You need to be making the plan to spend with Jesus. Peter describes Jesus as a living stone. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So he calls Jesus a, a living stone. What did we say that the temple was made of? Stone. Are stones alive? No, they're not. But he describes Jesus as the living stone. Christ is the living stone. Christ is so much more superior than an Old Testament temple made from stones that are dead. 
Jesus Christ is the living stone. The phrase emphasizes that Jesus is alive from the dead. Peter also described Jesus back in chapter 1 as the living hope. Jesus is alive. Jesus did not stay dead. He is living. He is our living Savior. He's our living hope. And he is the living stone. And Jesus Christ, the living stone, it says he was rejected by men. What did men do to reject Christ? What, what did men, mankind, do to Jesus? They crucified him. They rejected him. They rejected everything he was preaching and teaching. They didn't want anything to do with him, so they killed him. They hung him on a cross, and they killed him. They rejected Jesus, the living stone. They hated him because he spoke the truth. He said that he is God. He said, no one comes to the Father except who what? Who comes through me. They didn't like that. They rejected him. But in God's sight, in the sight of God the Father, Jesus is chosen and precious. You see, God, in his perfect sovereign plan, he planned for Jesus to be the Savior. Jesus was chosen to be Messiah, chosen to be Savior. And God, the Son, Jesus, is, is precious to the Father. God the Father loves God the Son. Now, if God the Father loves God the Son, don't you think that everyone who professes to be a Christian, there's a requirement, and the requirement is that you love God the Son, that you love Jesus. If God sees Jesus as precious to him, you should see Jesus precious to you. Jesus should be precious and valuable to you. A few weeks ago, uh, I, I told you an embarrassing story about myself. Well, I guess it wasn't really a story. It was just a fact about myself when I was young, and it was about a toy that I thought was precious when I was young. Does anybody remember what the toy was? Everybody remembers that, of course. Tickle Me Elmo. I had it. And by the way, guys, uh, did I tell you that Noah has it now? Did I tell you that? That it's literally in his room. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. But anyways... And right now, it's low on batteries. You know, whenever like a toy like that gets low on batteries, it yeah. sounds like scary. Yeah. yeah, it's doing that right now. It's kind of, it's weird. So I need to put new batteries in it. But so, yeah, I, I, when I was younger, I was just, this toy was really precious to me. But I'm, I'm going to further embarrass myself and tell you something else that I had when I was a kid that was precious to me. And I think a lot more of you will actually be able to identify with this. So if you're brave enough to come clean with me, then you, you can if you want, okay? But I, uh, I, had, I had this blue blanket. And I called, I called this blue blanket my blankie. Yeah. You still call your blanket blankie? Now, I had this blanket, and listen, listen, listen. The point is that it was precious to me. Everywhere I went, every time my parents put me in the car seat, I had to have this blue blankie. Every single time they put me in my crib, once I was old enough to be sleeping with a blanket, you know, because that's apparently you're not supposed to do that when babies are little, but whatever. Um, I, I had this blue blankie. And for a long time, this, this was like a long time. Not too long, but it, it was until I was like, you know, probably too old. But the point is, this thing was precious to me, okay? Now, whether it was a blanket or a toy or something else, again, you understand what it feels like to have something that's precious to you, that you, you love whatever it is, that you want it to be with you, right? 
Jesus needs to be precious to you. Do you value Jesus above all else? Do you know how you can test this? You know how you can test whether or not Jesus is precious to you? How often are you drawing near to Jesus? How often are you spending time with him? How often are you opening, opening up the Bible and reading it? How often are you spending time in prayer? How often are you worshiping Jesus? And if the answer is often, daily, I make time to do this, then Jesus, that indicates that he's precious to you. But if your answer is, I don't really spend time with God, I don't really read the Bible, then that's an indication that Jesus is not precious to you. And you need to be drawing near to Jesus often. You understand, I I say this phrase all the time, but if you have put your trust in Jesus, you need to be spending time with him. You need to be drawing near to him. Spending time. You can spend time with Jesus. You can spend time in the very presence of God because of what Jesus has done. And you need to be doing that. Now, Peter, he describes Jesus as the living stone. Now, listen to what he says next. He turns it from talking about Jesus to someone else. He says, you yourselves like living stones. Who who is Peter now describing as living stones? Christians. The church. Now, he is not saying that Christians are God or they are Jesus or we have some divinity like him. That's not true. But he's saying that Christians are so closely identified with the life of Christ that we are called living stones. That we, as Christians, we put our trust in him that we are alive. We are not dead in our trespasses and sins anymore. That we are alive. Now, the temple, God's dwelling place in the Old Testament was built with stones. New Testament Christians, us The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us, Christians, the church. And we are called living stones. And the Bible says, you are being built up as a spiritual house. I hope you see that this is talking about the church. That you and I are the living stones. And God is building us up into the church. We are the church. We don't depend on this room, the narrow. We could meet in an empty field somewhere and we would still be the church because we are the living stones of the church. And as you're spending time with God, you are being built up as a spiritual house. Your faith in God is growing stronger and deeper. All because you put your trust in Jesus, the living stone. We become living stones and God builds his church with us. So Peter's encouraging Christians to think of themselves as the living stones of God's new temple. No longer tied down to the Old Testament temple. We're the church now, and God's building us up. There's this famous story from ancient Sparta. Ancient Sparta, I think, is really cool. Uh, there's a story of the, the Spartan king, and he's talking to another king, and, and he's bragging to this guy, and he says, hey, check out the awesome, the powerful, and mighty walls of Sparta. And he points to the city, and the other king says, I see no walls. Where are the walls? He's looking for stones. He's looking for a big wall. And he points over to the military that's training, and he says, these are the walls of Sparta, the people. He says, the military is so strong, we don't, we don't need stone walls to protect us. Those people 
are the stones that make up the wall. Or so the people of the church, Christians, you and me, we're the living stones making up God's kingdom, God's church. And like I said, the more you come to Christ in worship and prayer, the more your time you spend in God's word, the more you will be built up into this spiritual house. So he's saying Christians are living stones, being built up. Christians are the church. The church needs to be drawing near to Christ, and he describes us as a holy priesthood. Christians are described as a holy priesthood, and this priesthood is commanded by God to offer spiritual sacrifices. So here's point number two. Live for the glory of God. You need to be drawing near to Jesus often, and you need to live for the glory of God. First Peter, it says to be a holy priesthood. He's building you up to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, the Christian, the, sorry, the Jews, they were relying on the priest. The priest, they relied on this guy, they, they went to him, he went to the Holy of Holies, he did the sacrifices on behalf of them, and now because of Jesus, because you can put your trust in Jesus and have a relationship with God in this new special way, God's word says that you are being built into a holy priesthood. Now this concept is called the priesthood of all believers. And what that means is you do not rely on a priest you do not rely on me or Pastor Mike to have a relationship with God. You don't have to come to me and say, hey, can you talk to God for me? You can talk to God right now, right where you are, whenever you want, all the time, because of what Jesus Christ has done. So no, it doesn't mean that you literally are a priest and that has to be your job and your career, things like that, but it's called the priesthood of believers in the sense that you don't need a priest anymore to represent you to God. You can go to God whenever you want. And you should be going to God often. And you should be living your life to glorify God. So let's think about what the priests were doing, right? They were making sacrifices. Aren't you glad that you don't have to do that anymore? Here, listen to these verses in Exodus 29. It says, Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting, Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar but the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. How glad are you that you do not have to do this anymore? Are you glad that you don't have to cut up a bull as a sin offering? In the New Testament, in the New Testament days, we don't do sacrifices like this anymore. But Christians are required to make a certain kind of sacrifice, and God calls them spiritual sacrifices. Romans chapter 12 talks about this. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You, your body, your life needs to be a spiritual, living sacrifice to God. When you become a Christian, 
What you are saying is, God, it is not about me anymore. My life is not about me. I've put my trust in Jesus. He is my Savior. You are my King. And now my life is all about giving you glory. So your life is now being lived out as a living sacrifice for God and for his glory. You see, God was pleased with these Old Testament sacrifices. And now, God is pleased with you when you are a living sacrifice, offering spiritual worship to him. And this is done by the next verse in in Romans 12. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You please God by not being conformed to the world. You please God by chasing after holiness. You please God by being more like Jesus. Your life needs to be a living sacrifice to God. Everything that you do, you need to ask yourself, is everything that I'm doing pleasing to God? What am I doing often? What am I participating in that is not pleasing to God? You need to get rid of it. Your life needs to be this pleasing sacrifice to God. Have any of you guys ever made up your mind that you wanted to be great at something? Just show me your hands. That, that at one point in time, you were participating in something and you told yourself, I want to be great at this. Okay. Maybe it was grades. Maybe you made some bad grades and you said, you know what, this is over. From now on, my grades are not just going to be good, not just going to be average, but they're going to be great. Whenever you make up your mind that you're going to make great grades, it requires sacrifice. What are some things that you may sacrifice in order to have good grades? Just shout it out. Time. You're not going to have as much time now to hang out with friends and do the other things that you might want to do if you're going to try your best to have good grades. You're going to sacrifice something. Any of you guys ever said, I'm going to be great at a sport? Yeah, a few of you. What are some things that you may sacrifice whenever you say you want to be great at a sport? Time, as always. Effort. What would you say? Yeah, injuries, things like that. When you want to be great at something, sacrifice comes along with it. You understand that? So listen, if you want to greatly please God with your life. If you want your life to be greatly pleasing to God, you have to be a living sacrifice. You have to sacrifice things. The things that your flesh is going to long for, the things that you may want to do in your your sin, you have to say, I'm not doing it. Even though in this moment I really want to do it, God, I'm not going to do it. My life is a living sacrifice before you. The Bible says that you have to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. You may sacrifice having lots of friends, having popularity, anything. You're going to have to make sacrifices in order to greatly please God with your life. You need to be a living sacrifice, living for the glory of God. So Peter Now, at this point, he's going to reach back into what the Old Testament was saying. He reaches and he gets three quotes from the Old Testament and pulls them up to the New to help us understand exactly what happened in the New Testament. Exactly what happened with Jesus. And he talks about 
laying down a cornerstone. He says, whoever believes in the cornerstone will be honored, not put to shame. And then he says that this cornerstone would be rejected. That's what the Old Testament was saying. The cornerstone would be rejected. The cornerstone would cause offense and cause others to stumble. I have a question for you. Who is the cornerstone? Jesus. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Here's point number three. Believe in the cornerstone. Believe in the cornerstone. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, he says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And what God is doing in Isaiah 28 through the prophet Isaiah is he is promising that one day he's going to establish a a sure foundation. That one day something new is coming. Someone new is coming. That a Savior is coming. So he describes the cornerstone as a hymn. He says, I'm going to lay a cornerstone and whoever believes in him that was not a, a correction that Peter made. That's exactly what God said through Isaiah. He's pointing forward to the Messiah. That he is coming. That one day he will be here. Then in 1 Peter 2, 7 it says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And that's a quote from Psalm 118, verse 22. In that passage... Psalm 118, verse 22, has actually already been quoted in the New Testament before now. Can anybody guess who said, who quoted that in the New Testament? Jesus. Jesus himself. He quoted Psalm 118, verse 22, that's talking about himself. He's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, I am the cornerstone. That verse is talking about me. So it's clear as day, Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, do any of you guys know what the purpose of a cornerstone is? If you were here last night, please do not say anything. What's the purpose of a cornerstone? To hold up a building, to keep it supported. Now, we don't really know about this as much today as as they did back then, because buildings and structure, it's different, okay? But when they would build things out of big stones huge stones. They needed a cornerstone to keep it all balanced. So all of these smaller stones were leaning and being supported on this big, giant stone. So two walls of stone would meet at a corner and be supported by a stone. Okay, so everybody look over in that corner. You see that wall, and you see this wall. Okay, If these walls were made of stones... Like the old days, it would need a cornerstone down there in the corner. The walls would meet at the corner, and that big, giant stone would support and hold up the rest of the wall. So God is saying he's going to bring a cornerstone. He's going to lay down a cornerstone. You, you understand that. And, and I'll tell you a quick story to hopefully help you understand it better. Um, Noah, my son, I think all of you know that that's my son by now. I talk about him all the time. But he's, uh, he is starting to play with blocks, and uh, it's like, it's the cutest thing ever. Because when I get home from work, he like meets me at the door 
And I'm like, okay, bud, do you, you want to build? Do you want to play? want to play blocks? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> this is so cute. And so we get down on the floor, and we're playing blocks. And I'm going to, can I just be really brutally honest with you guys about my son right now? He's not very good. He's not very good at building blocks. First of all, his hand-eye coordination isn't really all there yet, so it takes him a few tries to get one on top of the other. He'll be like, and he'll miss, and then he'll finally get it. Or if he misses more than once or twice, then he just gets mad and throws it, and he falls over. He just gets mad. But then, let's say that he's on, he's on a roll, right? He's stacking like a block, and then another one, and then another one, and then he gets up, and then all of a sudden he decides that he's going to pick up the biggest block we have, and try to stack it on top of the tiny little, like, pole of sticks. What, what happens when he puts the big block on top of the small? It falls over, right? There's no support. There's no structure. There's nothing like that, okay? Noah doesn't understand it because he's one, okay? But you guys understand that if you're going to build something up, it needs to be supported by something. It needs to be structurally sound, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He is the living stone of the new temple. So what God, what God is saying is that Jesus is the foundation for everything being built on him. He's the foundation of our faith. Our faith is built on our cornerstone, who is Jesus. That's why we're saying, believe in the cornerstone. Your faith is founded on Jesus, the church of Christ. It's in the, the church of Christ. It's built on Christ. He is the cornerstone. Our entire lives are being built on the cornerstone. And then it says that this cornerstone will be rejected. And for all of those who rejected Jesus, for all of those who don't believe in Jesus, he proved them wrong because he did not stay dead, did he? He rose from the grave on the third day. He didn't stay dead. And he became what 1 Peter 2, 8 says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, which is Isaiah 8, 14. So Jesus not only proves unbelievers wrong. When people say, I'm, I'm rejecting, I don't want this. He proves them wrong because he is alive, but he becomes offensive. And his message of repentance then and now is offensive to people. People don't like to hear it. They don't want to hear what Jesus is saying. Maybe you don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. Because he's saying you need to repent of your sin. Now let's think about this. Another, another message of Christ was that Jews and Gentiles could now be saved. And the Jews didn't want that. All right? So let's just picture that that wall represents Jews. And this wall represents Gentiles. What does it need to be supported? Cornerstone. Cornerstone. Do you see the picture that God's word is painting here? That the Jews and the Gentiles can depend on the cornerstone, can believe in the cornerstone, and they can be saved and be built up as the church. And the Jews didn't like that. They didn't want that to be true, so they rejected it. They turned him away. They said, we don't want this. They killed him. They hung him on a cross because he was offensive to them. You need to believe in the cornerstone, guys. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. All through the Old Testament, there are so many more. We, we even talked about this several weeks ago, but there's so many passages in the Old Testament that point to Jesus, that Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. 
You need to put your trust in Jesus. You need to build your faith, build your life on the cornerstone. And now listen, if you have, if you say, Pastor Jacob, I am a Christian, I have put my trust in Jesus, then you need to look at point one and point two. You need to make sure that those, that your life is carrying those points out, that you are drawing near to Jesus often, and that you are living for the glory of God, that you're not living for yourself, that your life is not all about you and what you want, but that you say, God, my life is now about you. It's about pleasing you, Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for being our cornerstone. Jesus, thank you that you've given us an opportunity, you've given us the ability to put our trust in you so that we can have a relationship with God. God, I pray that we would understand how amazing it is that we can have a relationship with you, that we would never take it for granted, that we would understand that we can pray to you, the creator of the universe, whatever we want. I pray that every person in this room will put their trust in you, that you would be with us and help us to be drawing near to you often, and that our lives would be glorifying to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.